Today on CityCast Salt Lake, the crisis at the Great Salt Lake has us searching for answers. Here's one approach you may not have heard of, rights of nature. It's a legal strategy that tribes and local activists are advocating for, which would give the Great Salt Lake ecosystem legal personhood. Grant Wilson is the executive director of the Earth Law Center, a legal group that has been organizing rights of nature campaigns as nearby as Colorado. I asked him what exactly it would look like for our namesake to have its day in court. Today is Wednesday, October 19th, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Grant, you've been advocating for rights of nature, which is a form of legal representation for natural elements in the world. Can you tell me what is the origin story for this kind of representation and how does it work? Yes, the rights of nature is a legal movement to establish legal rights for ecosystems, just like humans have legal rights and corporations, for better or worse, have legal (laughs) rights. And in the United States, at least, its origins are from a case uh, at the U.S. Supreme Court called Sierra Club versus Morton. And in the dissent, Justice Douglas said, in our court, in our system of justice, why is it only humans who are being heard and shouldn't nature, shouldn't rivers and mountains actually be able to um, be part of the justice system because they have inherent value, they have what we now call rights of nature. And that was 50 years ago, and there was sort of a pause in the development of this movement uh, until the last 10 years, it's just really taken off. And this idea that nature has personhood, where does this come from? Because it seems unlikely that it was thought of by a Supreme Court justice. (laughs) Certainly it has inspiration from indigenous peoples around the world, especially the idea that humans have a responsibility or a, even mm-hmm. a legal duty to protect and restore nature. When you take that idea and apply it into a, a Eurocentric Western law context like the U.S. legal system, it starts to look a little bit like the idea of nature having rights and be, being able to defend itself in courtrooms and enforce those rights in all sorts of other ways. Also, the other inspiration would be people who have look at our current legal system and realize that it's woefully inadequate to solve the environmental challenges we face today. And there's all sorts of reasons for that, stemming from the idea that we define nature as property under the law to Hmm. the notion that ecosystems really don't have a voice in our government. So people are sort of looking for ways to reimagine our legal system that can solve the major environmental problems that we face today. Yeah. Well, are there examples of this legal strategy being used successfully in the U.S.? In the United States, the rights of nature movement has mostly been at the local level. And the reason for this is that there are no state governments that support the rights of nature yet, nor does the federal government. And at the local level, some communities have tried to push back against things like fracking and industrial agricultural operations using the rights of nature. And it's been challenging because these activities are largely legalized by state and federal governments that literally permit them to occur. And so while we wait for higher levels of government to catch up, uh, local communities have been doing things like recognizing the rights of nature, figuring out how to give nature a voice within their local community, which is something that any town can uh, completely do. 
and building a movement of support while we wait for these higher levels of government to catch up. And that's something that's especially happened in Rocky Mountain communities. Hmm. Earth Law Center and Save the Colorado, amongst other partners, have been working with towns like Nederland, Ridgeway, and Grand Lake, all in Colorado, to sort of pass these friendlier uh, movement building type legal instruments on the rights of nature. And that's something that has had some success. It's interesting to me how often in conversations about the Great Salt Lake, which is impending ecological crisis, some would say it's already an ecological crisis in Salt Lake. We talk about the lake often as a person, like, you know, someone wrote an obituary for the lake and there are poems being dedicated to the lake and it is becoming sort of prevalent in people's minds. How could this rights of nature concept be applied to the Great Salt Lake? Many ecosystems have long been considered by indigenous peoples and non-indigenous peoples as being alive or living or having a spirit or personality. And when you think about that in sort of a relationship sense, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. But when you think about it legally speaking to some people, it, it's new or unfamiliar. But there's lawyers out there, including in the Great Salt Lake region, who really want to figure out legal solutions to basically give the Great Salt Lake, in this case, a voice in government um, because it is alive and it, it, it does have a voice if we listen and we just need to figure out how to make that work legally speaking. So there's a lot of stuff we could do in other countries such as Colombia and New Zealand. There are some rights of nature examples where uh, they have actually appointed legal guardians to serve as the legal voice of ecosystems. Huh. In Colombia, there are legal guardians who speak on behalf of the Atrato River. They are its voice. And similarly, in New Zealand with the Wanganui River that has legal guardians, they are the river and they speak for it, very legally speaking. And the same thing could be done for uh, the Great Salt Lake, where you appoint this body of people that serve as the voice of the lake. And that could be in a legal context, you know, in a courtroom. It could be at administrative hearings. It could give comments on issues that affect its health. So that's one thing that could happen. Huh, that's interesting. It's very interesting and exciting. And of course, you start talking about how to give nature a voice and it becomes very complicated who speaks for nature and what are the protections and, and so forth. But I found if you just kind of go for it, you figure a lot of those things out as it happens. Hmm. And then there's other things you could do. Uh, one more example is we all know that the Great Salt Lake needs more water. And uh, what if the lake itself mm -hmm. could own rights to the amount of water it needs to be healthy? So the rights aren't held by the government or other organizations. The lake itself holds rights to water and enough to restore itself to health and prevent this looming ecological disaster. That's something else that could happen. Salt Lake City, what if this is the year you host Easter dinner or brunch? Harmon's makes big meals easy to prepare with delicious holiday specialties made from scratch. Just heat and serve, baby. Lay a pre-cooked honey ham on the table and absorb the compliments from your family or friends. They don't need to know you napped instead of staring down the oven. And if you're not the host but need something to bring, here are just a few of my favorite spring ideas. First of all, Harmon's fragrant Easter lilies will impress anybody's mom or delight a neighbor. Now there's no need to even heat up a pre-made side like deviled eggs or fresh cut pineapple, but bonus points if you transfer them into your own dish. And as listeners of this show well know, I will lose my mind if you show up to my house with Harmon's Hot Cross Buns. 
I invite you to make some new Easter traditions with Harmons. Does the lake have any rights right now? If we think of it as a person, it has its own sovereignty. But in terms of like a, in a courtroom right now. The lake has no rights in a courtroom right now. You know, all of nature is treated as property under the law. Humans can own it and buy it and sell it and exploit it. And actually corporations are legally required to maximize their profits such that they buy and sell and exploit nature as much as they possibly can to do so. And a lake, a river, a mountain, a forest in the U.S. with a few exceptions of places that do recognize the rights of nature in, in U.S. communities and as, as well with sovereign tribal nations. With those exceptions, they have no rights at all. They're property under the law. They're a thing. And, you know, that means its voice isn't heard and there's just only so much we can do to protect yeah. it. And I really think this mindset of, you know, the lake is a thing. We own it. It's our resource uh, as much as anything is part of the problem. What are some of the pitfalls or potential setbacks of a rights of nature legal strategy? Yeah, a few of the pitfalls of a rights of nature legal strategy are one, enforcement is going to be challenging until there's state and federal support. So let's say the Great Salt Lake has rights and local communities recognize this however they see fit and you want to enforce those against a proposed dam, let's say. Uh, that's going to be very challenging until maybe the state of Utah supports the right of local communities to pass rights of nature laws or itself recognizes the rights of nature mm. or if there's some level of federal support. So the enforcement part can be challenging, which is why in the United States, sort of the strategy has shifted from not saying no to you know, proposed projects, kind of this negative approach, but saying yes to rallying around the rights of nature, giving nature a voice and sort of creating this cultural shift uh, along with yeah. uh, building a legal framework. So that's one challenge that can be overcome. You know, I think another challenge is um, reaching people who might be skeptical of the movement and convincing them it's a good thing. Some people think that the rights of nature is really anti-human and anti-property rights, but neither of those things are true. The rights of nature is really pro-human because it situates humans as being part of this larger ecosystem. So rights of nature is really about humans as well because we are part of nature. And I think once people understand that and realize this is about ensuring healthy ecosystems in which we live, we are part of nature, there are rights too, um, that you start to see more support. But certainly there's some skepticism at first in some places. Yeah. So it sounds like a lot of movement building needs to happen to get this from a concept to basically the courtroom. For sure. And anytime you talk about rights for a new entity, you know, it really impacts everybody. And if you you know, surprise a community with the rights of nature law and they've never heard of it, its impact is going to be extremely limited. So I think part of the exciting thing about the movement actually and the, the best use of it, at least in its early stages, is to start a community conversation about how do we treat nature? What would it mean for it to have rights? How can we speak for nature? And I think this is just a really deep dialogue and important one for any community to have. Yeah. And I think for the Great Salt Lake, certainly there'd be a lot of interesting outcomes from that conversation. A question that often comes up around the crisis at the Great Salt Lake in Utah and around so many crises in Utah is, do we have the political will? How can advocates sell our very conservative legislature on the idea that the lake deserves its day in court? Any advice? Sure. It can certainly be challenging, although uh, you'd be surprised about 
who supports the movement. And there have been some very conservative communities in the United States that have looked to the rights of nature for help when traditional environmental laws have failed them because they see impacts to the communities they care about and, and feel like there's not enough tools to, to solve them. You know, for Utah, I think focusing on this, you know, vision of, you know, what does the lake want? What is the lake saying? How can we listen to it? Is something that maybe anyone can get behind before you dive into all of the intricacies of, of rights. And once you dive into rights, I think you can overcome these challenges as well. You know, just looking at the last year, there's been this flood of legislation coming out in support of the Great Salt Lake, things like changing water rights. And it's really hard to mess with water rights without getting people really riled up. And Utah did it last year, uh, basically allowing water rights to be held by representatives on behalf of the lake uh, without people losing water rights that they don't use any given season. Hmm. And these sorts of changes are can be politically really hard and actually give me hope that the politicians in Utah are open to creative new solutions to this impending ecological crisis. And even if it's something like rights of nature that they've never heard of, I think people see the state of the environment, see the shortcomings of environmental laws and are at least open to a conversation about these issues. And, uh, you know, everyone in Utah really cares about the environment there. They, they live in this amazing, beautiful place. And the politicians, whether they're Republicans or Democrats or independent, are people who have families and legacies and care about future generations there. And so I think you'd be surprised how receptive people will be to the conversation. Grant Wilson, thank you so much. This idea is so fascinating to me, and I really appreciate your time breaking it down. Thank you for having me. If you're as intrigued by rights of nature as I am, here's a local opportunity to learn more. On Monday, October 24th, Save Our Great Salt Lake and Heal Utah are co-hosting a free workshop at the Bruvies downtown. Grab a beer and some chicken tenders and learn more about rights for the Great Salt Lake. Then kick back for a 50-minute screening of a documentary about the global rights of nature movement. The event starts at 6 p.m. Should be a fun crowd. I dropped the link in the show notes for you. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Tomorrow, we are capping Great Salt Lake Week with a very fun, family-friendly surprise. I'm excited to share it with you. Bye for now.